NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. Tonight, we are previewing round three, as well as going through all the games in round two, all of your AFL fantasy and your hot topics. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. Joining me on the show tonight are our regular panellists, Jake, Ash and Nathan. So, boys, welcome. Thanks thanks for joining me again. Um, how did we see the round of footy this weekend? Nathan, we'll start off with you, mate. Uh, yeah, interesting uh, power outages, both literally and figuratively. A um, couple of upsets as well, which I didn't, don't think we saw coming. Um, and probably a couple of teams solidifying themselves early in the season as being real premature contenders, I think. Probably the high-level takeaways at the stage. Yeah, absolutely. And Ash, what were your thoughts about the weekend of footy? Yeah, it was really interesting. A few really close games, a few blowouts, a few teams solidifying themselves as finals and premiership contenders and a few upsets as well. So overall, really interesting. And Jake, what what were your thoughts about the weekend, mate? Uh, Probably just being able to see some teams who kind of disappointed in round one kind of come back and get some good, strong wins in round two. I thought it was pretty good to see. Yeah, a lot of hot topics from this weekend and last week it was bumps this week it's sling tackles so let's talk about the sling tackles so Nathan Broad ended up being referred straight to the tribunal um he's ended up with a four-week suspension for his sling tackle on uh Crow's young gun Patrick Parnell uh Ryan Burden uh was given a two-week ban by Michael Christensen um and Port Adelaide have um, accepted that ban at the moment. So um, I'm not anticipating that any of these suspensions are going to be challenged in any way, shape or form. I believe that Port Adelaide had until Monday to confirm whether they're challenging and there's been nothing out of Port Adelaide. So um, how did we see the two incidents? Um, and do you think four weeks was the right penalty for Broad? I would probably think that for... He got off pretty easily. I think it could have been five or six. I probably would have been leaning towards more six. I reckon if you gave that six weeks straight up, I don't think you'd have too many issues for the rest of the year. Um, I thought Burton's, if they're really trying to stamp out those, you know, dumping and those sling tackles, you know, that second motion, which you hear the commentators talk about then, Two's, I'm happy with two. I just want that to be consistent for the rest of the year. Um, you know, I feel like with the bumps last week, we thought that McAdam was a little bit of the, the scapegoat and Cozzy got off likely, lightly, but um, it's, it's weird how you can compare a bump like what we saw from Pickett, McAdam, yeah. and then compare that to some pretty dangerous tackling that, you know, obviously left Parnell uh, with concussion. But, Jake, we'll start first with you this time. What were your thoughts about these sling tackles from the weekend and the suspensions given to the players? Yeah, well, I saw David King. uh, He said what you said. He thought six weeks uh, for Broad, which I think is pretty acceptable because, again, you're close to the boundary line. You don't really have to, you know, you didn't have to tackle him essentially either. Could have just bumped him across. And, yeah, the double, the swing motion, as you said, left him uh, concussed. And with the 
the Burton one, I mean, he grabbed, he had only one arm and he grabbed one of his other arms and kind of dumped him. So he couldn't, you know, protect himself as he hit the ground, which I guess, you know, sets up for people getting head injuries and breaking other bones in their body as well. So I think, yeah, four, I would have probably gone, yeah, five or six. Um, Cause if you really want to get out of the game, you got to come down hard on these actions. I reckon if you're probably looking back two or three years, I honestly think Burton's one is a free kick on the day and yeah. then it gets thrown out. But we see with these class action lawsuits that the AFL are going to try and protect themselves and, yeah. and maintain that positive image whilst these um, lawsuits are going on in the background. But um, Ash, we'll throw to you next. What were your thoughts on uh, particularly broad suspension? Uh, I think I've got a really unpopular opinion here, and that's I think that the suspension is too heavy. Um, really? Wow! Uh, I was not I was not expecting that. I, I know. I, I think um, I I'm of the opinion that the McAdam and Pickett bumps were significantly worse than you know sling tackles, dump tackles, whatever you want to call it. Mainly because they the tackle is still a football act, whereas the bump is sort of um, on a, on another spectrum of sort of recklessness and, um, and, and something which just, uh, just doesn't need to occur. So uh, don't get me wrong. I still think that, um, you know, broad burden should be suspended. I think that four weeks, I, I, I reckon that as long as at the end of the day, the tribunal is consistent and, you know, Michael Christmas is consistent. That's all that matters. But I would have liked to see Pickett and McAdam get the four weeks plus and then, you know, Burden and um, Broad in particular sort of get the two weeks. I think that makes more sense in my mind. I think both, all of the um, actions are, you know, bad and we want to stamp that out of the game. But I'm of the opinion that it should be the other way around. And Nate, we'll throw it to you next, but do you think that Broad got some extra weeks because of the added effects, effects of the concussion sustained to Parnell or do you think that the tribunal were just simply looking at this action alone? No, I think the tribunal absolutely nailed it this week. I think they probably left us down a little bit last week with the three head-high bumps um, and the inconsistency with that. I think this week they nailed it, I think. Um, and they've been talking about it for a number of years now around the education, the tackling and the um, duty of care that you almost have as a tackler um, and especially broad. Once he wrapped him up and Parnell was sort of at his, you know, you know, under his control as such, he needs to make sure that he's, tackling in the appropriate technique and fashion. Um, and I think the second he slung him over his shoulder the way that he did, he lost all control and it was always going to be an uphill battle for him. Um, I think the only reason it's probably disappointing is because they've righted the wrongs from the mistakes they made last week. I look at the Burton one and I don't think it's too dissimilar in regards to the head-high contact that Franklin did um, on the Gold Coast Suns player. I think Franklin should have got two. Um, I think Broad getting four weeks is is. And then I also think now looking back on it, that's probably where Cozzy and McAdam should have been, especially when we're talking about head high contact, whether it's the sling tackle or a bump. Um, the second it's high or severe, it's got to be in that three to four week range. So I think the AFL has you know, done the right thing this week. Um, and hopefully now, as we sort of said, it's stamping out this behaviour and really sending a message to the league that anything to do with the head, you're probably going to be looking at a month. Yeah. There's no easy solution to this problem, but I feel harsher suspensions are going to impact 
uh, teams a lot more. Um, we talked about the sin bin as a possibility uh, on the show last week, and we had a really good discussion about how it could work. But um, for something like Broad's tackle on Parnell, could a sin bin for that type of incident be implemented in the game, whether Broad missed the rest of the quarter or 20 minutes of playtime or whether he was completely ruled out for the game? Obviously, you know, we're fortunate that we have the substitute um, that can be activated at any time this year. But imagine if that was in, you know, the later stages of the third quarter and Adelaide have activated their sub five minutes ago. Like, it would be pretty unfair. But, uh, yeah. Ash, we'll throw it first to you, mate. What would your thoughts be about a sin being for a Nathan Broad-type incident? Yeah, um, potentially. I don't think I was too much of a fan of it last week, but I think if Parnell is sort of having to be um, subbed out because of the incident, then maybe I would be in favour of the sin bin. I think, yeah, I think some of the details of it are still a bit unclear. I'm not sure I completely want the sin bin right now, but there are some elements I like and some I don't. So, yeah, I'm sitting on the fence on that one. And, Jake, what are your thoughts about a, a sin bin for that type of incident? Uh, well, I mean, at the end of the day, if a player is made vulnerable uh, where he is in a tackle and he, you know, he loses um, either an arm or he, he can't help himself while he lands and he does get knocked out, I think if they do get knocked out, I think you could probably look at it. But maybe if they don't get knocked out, I think no. But if you, I think if you do injure them and they have to go off, I think that is probably a cause for them to get thrown off. And, Nath, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, look, it's probably similar to the discussion we had last week around the sin bin and the, and the head height bumps. Um, it, it, it's quite hard because you're almost judging whether or not the player sin bin on the potential outcome or injury of the player, which can be quite risky at times. Um, I, I still think there's probably too much to work out in regards to logistically how that would look to be able to determine on the spot whether a player is sin binned or not. I don't think our rules are as clear cut as, say, the NRL, where it's a little bit more obvious when a player should or shouldn't be sin binned, I think. So at this stage, I probably wouldn't touch it, just like we probably shouldn't be touching the bumps, or head high bumps um, being sin binned either. But I definitely think, you know, with the evolution of the game, if it doesn't get stamped out, then it's definitely something to look I just feel like there needs to be in-game consequences for something like this. Um, I feel like a penalty on the field is going to, and in that game, is going to penalise a team more than, you know, the percussions for, you know, the weeks to come, depending on the player, of course. You know, um, you never know who's going to complete, you know, these go through with these types of incidents. But let's move on. There were a couple of power outages on the weekend. My Port Adelaide boys just did not come to play at the MCG. But let's talk about the power outage more so at the Gabba. Um, So halfway through the fourth quarter, I believe there was 12 minutes to go in the game. Uh, The lights went out at the Gabba. You could see everyone pretty much turn on their flash phones um, in the stadium to, you know, work out what on earth was going on. The players were off the ground for approximately 40 minutes and then came back out to play the remaining sort of 12 minutes. Do you think they should have called the game off? Do you think it was the right decision to get back out there? Um, Because 
Melbourne ended up getting within, I believe, 11 points by the final siren, and they were down by 40 when the power went out. So, um, Nath, let's start first with you. What were your thoughts about the events at the Gabba? Yeah, look, I didn't have an issue with them coming back on, to be quite honest. Um, I think, like, all of us, we would have gone and read the the AFL regulations around what happens in a situation like that. But I, I think, you know, they can safely return to the field of play and be able to finish the game. Um, I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't have not returned to the field. I think the issue that I did have was the the poor communication from the AFL to both teams where Melbourne had the um, the opportunity to be up on the ground and warm up for about an extra five minutes, I believe it was, um, compared to the Lions. Um, whether or not that was the reason why they, you know, get five goals in a row off the back of that break, I don't think so. Um, but overall, I didn't have a concern with it. You know, that sort of stuff happens. It happened in a netball game um, back in Adelaide on the weekend as well. Um, so it's just one of those things, but I didn't have an issue with it. And, Jake, your thoughts um, on the Gabba? Uh, well, I mean, I think... Uh, I think Brisbane did what I did, and I, I went straight to bed. I, I didn't watch the, I didn't watch the rest of that game. Uh, but no, I don't have an issue with it either. It's kind of just like in local footy when you get, you know, your thunderstrucks and stuff like that, and you have breaks, and then once it stops, you can start playing again. So I don't really have too much of an issue. But when it goes for too long and the communication isn't good between both sides, that's a bit of an issue that could be fixed as well. And Ash. Yeah, I think if the game is sort of get get the game sort of finished at whatever cost, I reckon you can. I think yeah. it's messy as soon as you start, uh, you know, prematurely ending games and splitting points. According to that, I think we're lucky that there were no soft tissue injuries or anything mm. like that. But yeah, I, I didn't see a, a major problem with it. It's more sort of funny than anything. Um, those sorts of things happen. I think we saw lightning. Um, Pause the game for a long period of time in Perth a couple of years ago. So, yeah, it's just mm. one of those quirky things we've seen in our game. Yeah, yeah, it was quite unique. Dane Zorko came out and was pretty um, against having to go back on the field. Uh, didn't really worry him. He was subbed off at three-quarter time after having 22 possessions and kicking two goals on his return, yeah. playing on a half-forward flank. Um, so it didn't really affect him, but um, I think... Yeah, Brisbane were just a little bit disappointed with the fact that Melbourne got those five minutes extra on the ground to warm up. But I don't get it. Why couldn't Brisbane have just done some, you know, lane kicking or, you know, bumps in the rooms as as a warm-up? I know being on the ground is a different feel, but Mm. you can still do things in the change room to mentally prepare yourself to go out and play play games. So uh, it was a very interesting... Um, one. Let's cross over to Nathan's side of the country now in the West with the deliberate um, out-of-bounds call, non-call between Fremantle and North Melbourne. North Melbourne ended up winning by a point in the end. Um, The funny thing about this is the audio with the umpires in their earpiece, earpiece that they wear is actually... Um, ahead of what you would hear on the broadcast. So according to the AFL, um, the ball was still one or two metres inside the field of play uh, before the siren rent went. So, uh, Nath, did you end up going to that game on the weekend and um, did you have any issues with the decision that the umpires made on the field? I thought um, 
the umpire did really well to main, remain cool, calm, collected, trust his judgment. Um, but do you think these incidents should be referred to the ARC when we do have the technology available? Um, look, I, I don't know. I, I think ultimately they did get the decision right. I think probably one of the reasons why everyone was thrown in, especially watching it on the broadcast at home, you could hear the umpire say um, like, uh, to pay it for deliberate uh, before the ball went out of bounds, which often they do, especially when it's so obvious. And I think that potentially threw people, especially watching it because the umpire said pay the free kick. Obviously, then the siren went and then the ball went out of bounds after that. So I think they nailed it. Um, and as you said, the umpire stayed really cool, calm, collected. They had their little huddle and they spoke about it. And they got the decision right, ultimately. And there's a um, floating around on social media today, a still shot of where the ball was at the exact moment that the um, sign went. And it looked like they nailed it as well. And to be quite honest as well, I think it would have been quite unfair on North Melbourne as well if, you know, Fremantle had to kick the goal or behind and it ended up stealing a point or the, or the win alone because I don't think that uh, Fremantle deserved to be as close as they were at the end of that game either. Yeah. And, Jake, what were your thoughts on uh, the way that the umpires handled it over in Perth? Yeah, I'm with Nath on that one. I think, um, you know, it's kind of like if a player's running into an open goal and the siren sounds, he can't kick the goal, the game's over. Um, so I'm with him on that. And I think what who from Fremantle would kick the goal? Like They struggled to kick goals in the first place. So um, it would have been interesting to see if they – it would have been a hard goal anyway. So um, And North Melbourne, you know, they battled hard and give them the win. Yeah, and lastly, uh, Ash, what were your thoughts about the umps in Perth? Yeah, I think it's an um, interesting point you brought up, Calm, with sort of going to the arc or something like that. Um, I'm a fan of sort of some of the sports, you know, cricket, uh, basketball, some of them who sort of have umpire reviews um, or referee reviews, sort of when there's a call that you're sort of not exactly sure. I think it's always better to double-check and make a decision on the fly and hope that it's the right one. So if they had to go up to the arc or to wherever and, you know, double-check, I think that's an interesting point. And not just for them, this specific situation in the game, but there are lots of sort of instances where it might be a 50-50 kind of uh, call or an out-of-bounds or a deliberate, whatever it may be. So I'm a fan of sort of um, going to the arc or whatever technology and, um, you know, making a decision that way. There's a difference between using the arc for, you know, little bits and pieces versus using the arc for a potentially game-defining mm. um, decision. So, you know, we see it, the technology used for goal reviews. Whether it works 100% of the time is mm, very questionable. Um, but I think in an instance like that, you should – the umpires should be able to use the technology on the field because, you know, we saw what happened um, a couple of years ago with, I think it was Jack Nunes, you know, stealing game off Fremantle in the last like um, few seconds. And I don't think he was supposed to actually take the kick from memory, but um, I know this incident is different, but I think the umpires in Perth did really well. Let's talk about Ash's Blues. He was happy on Thursday nights after they got the chocolates over the Cats. Uh, Kerno was the standout in that game for Carlton, kicking five goals too. Uh, and a special mention to Jeremy Cameron as well, who had 25 disposals and kicked six goals, one single-handedly kept Geelong in the game. Ash, what were your thoughts about the Blues and what other teams did you like from the weekend? 
Um, I was at the game and I loved it. I was, you know, absolutely um, pooping myself so that we didn't choke a fourth straight game in the fourth quarter um, under a close margin. So I think it's a real sort of, it's not so much the result that means a lot, but it's the belief in knowing that not only can you win close games and sort of control the momentum in the fourth and make sure you don't blow the lead, but to do against all teams and do it against the um out of all teams to do it out of to the reigning premiers, I think that sets them up sort of really well. And I, I fear for what would have happened if Carlton choked that game. I, I I feel like if they were to lose it, it would be a massive um a massive thing for them mentally. And I don't think that's really coming back from that. So um, to say that it potentially saved their season, I don't, I don't know. That might be a, a bit of an exaggeration, but sort of, um, it looks like that will hold them in good stead moving forward. Yeah, I really like what I saw from the Blues on Thursday night. I've got them third on the start of my season tipping, um, and I've got faith that they will come good. Um, their key forwards work in tandem mm. really well. Um, and you know, a couple of years ago, Carlton would have lost that game and mm. probably would have lost it very comfortably. Um, so it's good that last year they were able to stay in games. Obviously, they weren't able to get over the line when they needed to in the last four rounds, but some really positive signs for um, the rest of the season. Uh, Jake, your Bombers ended up getting a win over the, yeah. the Gold Coast Suns. It was even at three-quarter time, but Kyle Langford was the main standout. Um, he also kicked five goals too um, to get the Bombers over the line. Um, really, really positive signs for the Bombers when yeah, I think most of, most of us had them in the bottom four this year. Yeah, well, it was it was a good win. Um, I really didn't know who you know was going to step up for us and kick some goals. Langford's career high was you know four before then, and obviously no Wiedemann, who was a game time decision. Uh, but no, it was good. I think our midfield played really well. Obviously, we're using um, Redmond ultimately nearly as almost a fifth midfielder. Um, you know, he pushes up the ground pretty well. Small forwards were working well. Um, and this week against the Saints, which should be a good t- contest. And, you know, I like them on the weekend as well. Um, you know, their team still injury riddled, just lost steel uh, with the shoulder injury. And I think it's been pretty good. At least the Saints have a bit of belief that, you know, new coach, defensive style, they're still winning games. So I think that Saturday night game uh, will give us some good, you know, good game. Uh, and I might just touch on Carlton as well because I – I did go to that game as well. I think Carlton still, you know, have another level to play, which is exciting. And my everyone that I was with, they were saying, geez, we needed to be up by eight or seven goals to be comfortable because they really could have been up by a lot more in that first quarter. But I think, you know, Geelong just looked bruised and battered. And, you know, every time DeConing or Cameron got the ball, they just looked so, so sore. So it would be interesting to see how they go against Gold Coast this week. Unfortunately, Nathan, our team's got outplayed on the weekend. So we won't spend too much time dwelling on Port and the Crows, but I think we might make a little wager uh, towards the end of the show about some showdown bragging rights. Um, but there's some good good stories out the weekend. I thought Collingwood were sensational against Port Adelaide. They bashed up Port Adelaide in the contested ball, which has not been a strength of theirs under uh, Craig McRae, uh, which is really positive. I thought their big men in... Mason Cox and Darcy Cameron 
just tore Port Adelaide's midfield apart. Um, they really, Port's defence were really stretched, um, you know, and just outbodied, outpositioned in every opportunity. Nick Dacos had 32 touches and two goals. So, you know, for a second-year player, he just gets better and better. Mm. It's um, it's unbelievable. Um, other good news stories from the weekend for me, obviously North's win with LDU um, racking up 30 disposals and kicking uh, what I think was the sealer or one of the, the last goals in the game. Um, and Sheasel, you know, backing up from his round one rising start, he had another 30 disposals and was really cool, calm, and collected in the back half in those dying stages. He could have very easily rushed the ball over for a point, giving North the kick out to try and, you know, blast it up the middle and get another get another score before the end of the game. Um, and the Saints do it again. I couldn't mm. believe um, the Saints. They're really playing for Ross Lyon, bringing that repeat efforts Um with a makeshift forward line as well, without, you know, probably six of their best 14, 15 or so players unavailable. Unfortunately, Jack Steele uh, has a broken collarbone and will miss their 150th year anniversary game against the Bombers on Saturday night. Um, but, Nath, what did you like from the weekend, mate? Yeah, probably a few teams stood out for me. Uh, first of all, Brisbane. I thought, you know, it was a fantastic response uh, by them on Friday night. It gets a really classy outfit who obviously Melbourne gained a few players back. Obviously, Stephen May was a, a late out. Um, but their small forwards, I think, is their point of difference. You've got Zorko, Bailey, Cameron and McCarthy up forward. They kicked seven of their goals on Friday night. And I think, you know, when they're at the feet of Hitwood and Danaher, they do look really, really dangerous to bring that spark for them in that forward line because I don't think Danaher and Hitwood are like your Colonel Mackay sort of a combo where or Hawkers and Cameron where they're going to kick big bags of goals. So I think... But then their smalls are always at their feet and looking quite dangerous. Um, and then we talk about a lot of clearances. Like Brisbane looked like they actually knew how to be a midfield unit as well. They won the clearances 60-32 um, against a very, very classy midfield. But I think that's that's what happens when you've got the combination of Dunkley, Ashcroft, Neil, McCluggage, Zorko running through there a little bit as well. Um, just how dangerous they can be when they're on. Um, so I thought they were a, a really big standout for me. Obviously, we spoke about Collingwood. They look great. They started, they've started the season really, really well. Um, there's obviously Brownlow chat for Nick Dacos, which is always good fun. Um, but I think that probably the biggest thing for me with Collingwood is it's a team effort at the moment. They had 21 goals and 14 goal scorers. So it's not like they're relying on, you know, three or four guys to kick bags. They're all sort of sharing the load, which I think can be quite a da- dangerous thing for teams as well because they've got so many weapons up forward, but also midfielders that can go forward and put down kick goals as well. You know, Tom Mitchell's not a known goal kicker and he's kicked a couple in his first few starts yeah. in Collingwood. Obviously, Dacos as well. Um, you know, they look really, really good early. Um, and I think the other team for me is Sydney. Um, you know, I spoke about them last week and we've all spoken about them and how they were going to bounce back after the disappointment of last year's grand final. And gosh, they look great. No Franklin um, on the weekend and Amadi and, and McDonald kick time between them. And I think a bit like the Brisbane situation as well. You've got two All-Australian um, small forwards in Heaney and um, Papley as well, who kick four between them as well. So that combination is really quite dangerous at Sydney. And, you know, they had they were plus 16 in their inside 50s and had 
and the efficiency for scoring when they went inside. So they were really, really dominant um, as well. So I think, you know, we knew they were going to be good, but starting off the season as well as they, ha- as well as they have, I think that's a, a positive sign for them as well. Let's look at the flip side of that. There were a few teams that disappointed on the weekend. The Hawks got bashed up by the Swans, as you mentioned, Nath. Um, I thought really disappointing result for the Suns. Um, you know, a year where they were expected to start really turning things around and make that push for the eight. My prediction to have them in the eight at the start of the year is not looking fantastic right now, um, considering I had Collingwood out. I look very foolish at the moment. Um, and I'm sure I'll continue to look foolish throughout the year with some of those predictions. But um, the Dogs and Fremantle were big concerns for me. Um, Brio particularly can't score, just can't score. Um, and I... I don't think this long-term, this um, run, um, sorry, uh, Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson experiment is going to work. Mm. Uh, I feel like Darcy will request a trade back to Victoria in the next two years. I can see it. This is just not going to work. Jackson's a ruckman. He's not a forward. It's a bit, kind of reminds me of when Port Adelaide uh, got within a kick of Hawthorne in that 2014 prelim, and then they were able to get in Paddy Ryder. Now, Paddy Ryder was great for the club, um, but it was basically at the expense of Matthew Loby, who was a really good, solid ruckman at the time. What are your thoughts? We're two weeks in. I could be going hard on the pair, um, but I think it's just a mismanagement by Fremantle's recruiting team in this scenario. Obviously you do want to attract WA talent home when there is that opportunity because they're more likely to stay long-term. But Ash, what are your thoughts about how this is working at the moment? No, I agree. There's sort of um, neither here nor there with sort of their ruck work, their forward work, um, sort of not looking very damaging sort of, at stoppages and not looking very damaging forward of centre. So I think it's a, a, a wait and see. It's only been two weeks. But, yeah, definitely been disappointing, especially for the contract, which Jackson is currently on. So, yeah, and I agree about Sean Darcy. You know, Sean Darcy pretty much walks into any other team, uh, probably other than Melbourne, and becomes their number one ruckman. There's there's no doubt. I can guarantee you if Port Adelaide wanted Sean Darcy, he's their number one ruckman tomorrow. Guarantee it, you know. Throws same thing. Um, maybe other than Jared Witts, the captain at Gold Coast, um, I feel like Sean Darcy would pretty much walk straight into any uh, team, any side as a first choice ruckman. But Jake, what are your thoughts um, about some of the teams that I mentioned? We talk about the Dogs being disappointing, Port disappointing, Hawks, Suns. What are your thoughts about some of the less positive things from the weekend? Yeah, well, I think I'll start with the Hawks. And I, I think what they're doing is, you know, they're tanking and it's pretty, we all know they are. Um, and I, I don't really have a problem with what they're doing. I think they know what where their direction is. They're obviously, they've obviously been looking at the draft for this year and who prospects they could possibly get. So I think mainly it's more Fremantle, you know, the Dogs and Gold Coast 
could there be some coaching changes with those teams? Um, you know, you don't really want to start a season 0 3, 0 4. You know, I can kind of continue to go on. Um, and Freeman, as I said, I had him, you know, in pretty high in the finals, and I've kind of wanted to, as you said, with the Collingwood pick, I want to lay off that pick maybe. But Dogs, you know, as I said, yeah, with the combination in their forward line, they got beaten um, by the Saints pretty handily. Um, the, the lead blew out straight away. Uh, Geelong, be interesting. They played the Suns. I think that will be probably one of the more important games of the round because, again, you don't want Geelong going on three and you don't want Gold Coast going on three and uh, Geelong get Duncan and Cole Jasney maybe back this week. So I think that'll be interesting. We talked a few weeks ago about Rory Lobb going to the Dogs when he probably could have been a better fit at St Kilda. Looking at Fremantle's forward line problems at the moment, should they have kept him? Nath, I know you're not a massive Rory Lobb fan, but just from a structure point of view and, you know, consistency in their forward line, I think he only kicked sort of 30-ish goals last year, but... You know, there'd be the way that Fremantle are putting the ball inside 50, it'd be a miracle if someone scores 30 goals for them. Schultz and um, Schwikowski look like their most prominent goal kickers at the moment. But we'll start with you, Nathan, because you've been pretty against Rory Lobb. What what are your thoughts about, about that type of scenario and what concerns do you have about Fremantle's forward line in general? Yeah, well, I think for me, Lobb didn't show anything last year. Um, you know, he, he one his health can be a concern at times. Um, I think the other thing with Lobb is he, he couldn't fit in with Tabernar and he couldn't fit in with the tall forwards last year. And to me, it doesn't look like he has that forward craft. He's obviously quite tall and reasonably athletic, but his inability to take a pack mark or, be, or to be able to break away from his opponent and actually, you know, get a get a um, a lead. Um, kick is also his like not his strength, so it's really quite a weird one what you actually do with him. Um, I think overall for Fremantle again, it showed true on Saturday night their defensive and passive style game. They dominated possession again, they had a high mark count, um, but couldn't convert. And I think one of the things that um, I saw, especially from them on the weekend, was their inability to actually give the delivery that the forward line requires. A lot of the time, it was just bombing it in. You brace your wrong, those sorts of boys, even like a Luke Ryan and Hayden Young running off the halfback, would just bomb it in, and it would be no real purpose to their entries. Um, and I think that's half the battle. Obviously, the other side of that battle is they, they just don't have um, you know, a key target to actually hit up. You know, Tabernar, Jai Miss, Fife, we've mentioned these names before, and they're just not cutting it at, cutting it at the moment. Um, and I think the biggest one, and I wrote this down from the weekend, was the clearance um, outcomes. So it was six gold, two to two gold, four conversion from centre clearances. Uh, North versus Fremantle. That's pretty damning. Um, and especially when Freo plays a slow style of game and they're not scoring many goals off of turnovers, where are they actually getting their scoring opportunities from if they're not winning and converting mm. from the clear? So I think that's quite concerning for the Dockers. Um, and Owen 2 going into a derby, it doesn't matter how good a form you're in or not West Coast and Freo, that's going to be a really interesting game for them on Sunday afternoon. Um, and I think the other one as well, like Hawthorne, I don't think we probably should bother talking about them. Yeah. You know they're not a good team um, and they've shown that over the last two weeks. I think this is potentially who they're going to be and I think you boys probably nailed it on the head with them being the wooden spooners this year. They're that far off the pace. Um, that is a 100% a redevelopment and rebuild year for them. But I think, yeah, the other one is um, is the doggies. Um, 
they talk a lot about being devoted or the devo factor and his um, he continues to shift the magnets around and someone like Jack McRae, who is an elite ball winner in the AFL and probably one of the best ball winners, continuing to be put out under a wing, confuses the hell out of me. Bonson Pelly, you know, a big-bodied midfielder, will go forward when their forward lines are already told. Doesn't make sense. Um, I think they are missing Cody Waitman up forward a little bit. They, they don't have that spring in their small forward stops up forward. Like Riley West tries hard, um, and they've got a couple of other like young boys up there as well, not really doing the job. Um, and then it's just the delivery again. Like we spoke about with Freeman, their, their delivery to their forward lines for the Bulldogs is really quite poor as well. Um, and the Bulldogs came unstuck by the pressure game and set did apply on them. Um, they strangled them really hard really early and they just couldn't recover. Um, and it's really interesting that they couldn't make those in-game adjustments, which they have done in the past to actually combat that. So, yeah, I think the doggies are in a bit of trouble as well. Um, and then I think probably the other one, and Callum, I'll touch on it for you, was Port Adelaide. They were disappointing. Um, I, I, I truly do think it's an outlier um, as much as, you know, I do have a dislike for, for Port Adelaide. I think it was an outlier. Collingwood kicked them kicked them when they were down real early and they didn't get back up. And it was almost like when the going got tough, Port Adelaide sort of went into their shells, which is quite disappointing, especially after the effort they showed against Brisbane the week before. Um, you know, they probably got outdone by a faster, you know, better system team. Um, and I think a lot of teams didn't combat that when they played Collingwood this year. But I think one of the positives for Port Adelaide in the first two rounds is Charlie Dixon. He actually looks really, really good. He's kicked bag the three in both his first two games. And he's that sort of player that, you know, when he's on a hot streak, he, he he is a dominant forward in the league. And I think that's probably exciting from a Port Adelaide perspective that if he's on, um, that's a big win for Port Adelaide, especially with Todd Marshall and George Yardis alongside him and the potential development that you're going to continue to see with him and then the smalls that you've got up there as well. Yeah, it looked disappointing. It's always harder than G against Collingwood, but, you know, I think they will bounce back in a big way this week in the showdown as well. I'm certainly hoping that Port Adelaide bounce back in the showdown, mate. So I'm willing to wait, make a wager with you right now. If Port win, you have to wear a Port scarf on the podcast next week. And if the Crows win, I'll wear a Crow scarf. Do we have a Sounds deal? Good. Sounds good. Let's do it. Oh, I'm, I'm really going to hate it if they lose now. So, <laughs> um, But all in a bit of good fun. Um, I just wanted to touch on one of the points that you made. Um, Luke Ryan, um, he's had a lot of the ball in the first uh, couple of weeks of the season for Fremantle, and I think it says more about the way that Fremantle are playing. Um, he's generally a pretty good distributor of the footy, takes a lot of the kickouts, great for one of your AFL fantasy teams potentially, and someone that might be you know floating around my watch list in the next couple of weeks if he continues the way that he is. Um, with the amount of Fremantle... The halfback flankers, Clark, Young, Ryan, the amount of ball that they're getting in the back half is really concerning. We talked about Brendan Cox taking 20 marks against St Kilda in round one. I'm hoping that if this, well, if this trend continues for Fremantle, it's real concerns for the remainder of their season. And you touched on the derby as well. Um, I actually was surprisingly impressed with West Coast on the weekend. Um, I thought they did some really good things. But, um, Ash, 
Let's talk about AFL Fantasy. You and I were talking about this in the WhatsApp group. Uh, I ended up with uh, 2,075. My rank is somehow still in the top 1,500. I don't know how. Um, you know, some people who did really well for me this week, uh, if you don't have Sheasel, um, you may as well just stop playing right now. Um, I've been doing something different with my rucks. Most people went with uh, English and Rowan Marshall. I actually went with Jared Wicks and Lloyd Meek as a point of difference. Um, So Meek ended up with 83 points. I did something different in my defensive half as a point of difference, and that was Jaden Hunt. He made 44 in round one, and I considered trading him. Um, But I thought his price tag and his break-even weren't actually too bad. So... I thought it was worth persist- persisting with him for another week, and he got me an 86, so I'm pretty happy with that. Andy Brayshaw made a 120. He's a staple in most people's midfields. And Clayton Oliver, I had the C on him, and he got 149 mm. uh, times two when you put the C on them. Uh, Ash, how did your team go this week? I think I got 2043, so an improvement on last week, and I jumped it up about 10,000 in the rankings. Um which makes up slightly from my appalling week one, but um, it's good to still not nail my uh, my C or my BC, so that keeps bugging me every single week. Um, I think it was nice to see some of the mid-prices do well, guys like Warple. Um, I think he's got good value, probably a bit late to jump on him now, or maybe not, but he's one that's sort of, Really impressed me. Charlie Constable, another mid-price, so that's really impressed me. So I think, um, yeah, keep searching value in those two and a bit of cash generation with the rookies. So that's sort of what I'm looking for at the moment. Yeah, Finn Callahan was a bit quiet for me this week compared to round one, but I've got on the Warple train as well. Um, pretty well had him all the way through. Uh, you mentioned Charlie Constable as well. Um, he's turned out to be a great pick and it was really surprising when he went to the Gold Coast Suns and he just wasn't getting a game because he was consistently racking up numbers in the VFL. Um, and it's really good to see him getting an opportunity across halfback, a position that he's probably not played too much of. Um, but Nath, how did your fantasy team go? Sorry, Jake, uh, you left out on this group. <laughs> Yeah, so I scored twenty forty seven and saw myself raise about ten thousand spots in the rankings this week. So still lagging behind both of you boys a little bit, but slowly getting there. Um, I fixed up my rookies. Um, so I brought in Sam, and brought in Samson Ryan um, and Ooh. Kate Gandler, so just two rookies that I missed from round one, um, and they both produced for me on the bench, which was nice. And they've got low break even, so it's a little bit of a cash generation game for me with them at the moment. Um, She's like, we spoke about him last week. He's gone up $170,000 in two weeks and he's got a break even of negative 40. Like, I'd love to know if that's the lowest break even ever. It's just ridiculous. Um, Will Ashcroft showed his promise on Friday night. He um, had 90. He, I think he had about 30 touches and a goal. He's got a negative break even as well, so he'll keep making money as well. Um, I'm so glad that I, I stuck fat with uh, Rory Laird and I uh, even put the C on him, so it was enjoyable to spite the result and see him punch out a 142 um, and double that score for me, which is quite enjoyable. And the other thing for me, um, and I think he'll become popular in the next couple of weeks, is um, LDU. 123, he looked like a, a man amongst boys on um, 
that afternoon against Frio, really chopped up through the midfield there. So that was quite exciting. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that pick. And even like someone uh, like a Will Day, I've got in, the, in my uh, D3 at the moment, he scored another 90, um, which I was quite happy about as well. So I think for me now I've got my rookie set um, and it's about probably now my trades this week about patching up some of the mid-prices I missed. So I'm probably going to look to actually dump Bontempelli this week, which might be a little bit controversial, but ultimately Bontempelli is not a top eight midfielder um, in the game. He's going to get bevoed, and you just can't trust Luke Beveridge. So I'm probably going to go Bontempelli down to Setterfield. Um, I feel like you need him. You know, he's averaging 126 through the first two games. Um, he's got a break even of 27. So, you know, that's yeah. going to be massive cash generation for the next couple of weeks. So hopefully then be able to get him up to a big dog. Um, and then, with that cash, I'm going to probably move Jason Horn Francis and get uh, the uh, Z Ball pick, Jack Z Ball. Um, you know, the role of 2021's back by the looks of it, and he's getting a lot of dirty kicks and marks in that back line and punching out tons. So, again, you know, a low, he's going to get DPP in round six as well. So, pick him up as a forward line player now and flick him back into the defence. I think he uh, could be a, a fun one to have. He's always good to watch. So, having him on a fantasy team would be quite enjoyable as well, I reckon. You know what? I'm really annoyed at you right now because we didn't talk about this off air and you've stolen all my good points that I'm about to make. So um, you mentioned a good one about Will Day. This this wasn't one that I actually had originally, but um, with Hawthorne going the way that they are, I think he's going to be, um, you know, he's going to get more opportunities to score just because the ball is going to be down there a lot more. Um, and Sicily... Like most people would probably have Sicily as well. So um, I feel like he's going to take a lot of intercept marks um, with the way that Hawthorne's going. You mentioned LDU, a break even of about 80-ish from what I can see on FootyWire, which is a great website to check out player break evens if you don't want to pay for AFL Fantasy Premium. Uh, You mentioned Jack Zebel before. He's in the 600s, so he's someone that I'm probably going to try and get in before he gets too expensive. Uh, rookie watch this week. So the Western Bulldogs have announced that Arthur Jones is going to make his AFL debut on Thursday night. I don't have any information about Arthur Jones other than the fact that he's making his debut on Thursday against the Lions. Um, so he might be one to watch, but I was really happy I got in Kay Chandler. He made 64. He was on my bench and I traded in Luke Pedler as well. He only made 55, um, but, you know, at least he's probably going to have some good job security for the Crows. So, yeah, I'm looking to dump Pelly as well. I've got him. He's made two 90s or something like that. I want my premiums to be scoring tons. So um, I'm probably not – if Steele wasn't injured, I probably would have gone for Steele, um, but Steele's going to be missing a month with a broken collarbone. Um, Rory Laird's probably a bit too expensive still at the moment. I know he might drop a little bit in cash over the next few weeks. So I might pick him up when he's a little bit cheaper. Um, really considering getting in Nick Dacos. I don't have him. I thought that too many people would have him now. I went with Doherty, uh, Dawson, and the other ones escaping me at the moment. So um, those are what I'm thinking for this week. Um, Ash, what are you thinking about doing with your fantasy trades? Obviously, the teams will come out on Thursday night, which will be a different story. But, um, yeah, we can we can find out a bit more then. 
Yeah, well, I think you guys have stolen my trade spell and they took the words out of my mouth and bringing in Zabel and Setterfield this week. I'm jumping off uh, Connor Rose, which might be a bit early for some, but I feel like um, while he's sort of done all right, especially week one, I think you take last week, round two is a bit of an outlier, how bad Port did. But I think despite him playing well, his fantasy score and correlation probably just isn't up there. Um, and I feel like even when he has played well, it sort of hasn't reached that sort of ton mark. And I feel like I'm able to get a bit more value with someone like Zeblock forward. Um, the other one I'm letting go of is Sam Flanders, who I think is a mid-price, has been very disappointing. Um, I jumped on him. I, I thought initially it was a bit of a point of difference, but I think that some others have got him. Um, another pod which I selected in the preseason is Zara Wanganine Miller, who hasn't been... Uh, very good for me so far. So potentially one which I look to trade out next week. Jack McRae potentially one to look to trade out next week. Even Sam Doherty, who's been slightly disappointing. I'd love to see him crack a ton this week. But, yeah, we'll see how he goes. You know, it's kind of a difficult one because we want our premiums that we talk about. You know, Doherty, I've got Dawson in my back half. I've got Sicily in my back half as well as my three premiums. Look at my midfield at the moment. I've got Bont, Oliver, uh, Brayshaw as my three premiums. And then in terms of my higher players in the forward line, I've got Rosie, Taranto, Dunkley, and um, Cogs as well. So really happy with how my forward line's going. I'm probably going to back Rosie in for a few more weeks. Um, he is the reigning showdown medalist. Um from last year. So he not, has a pretty good record in showdowns as well. So I'm going to back him in. Um, yeah, those are the main things that I'm probably looking for in terms of rookies. I think defensive rookies are really hard to, um, to find good defensive rookies. Um, Cowan made a 40 last week from Carlton and Chesser from West coast only made a 27. Uh, I'm thinking that Chesser, might potentially get the flick this week. So I'm thinking him and Bontempelli will go out and I'm not sure what premium midfielder to bring in um, or whether to do a double downgrade so that in a future week that I can do a double upgrade. So um, we can talk about that next week uh, when we have a little bit more information. So looking ahead to this week's round of games, we've got the Josh Dunkley Cup between Western Bulldogs and the Brisbane Lions at the Gabba. I assume most of, oh, sorry, at Marvel, at Marvel, mm. not the Gabba. Um, so it probably brings the dogs into it a little bit more, but still probably expecting Brisbane to get the chocolates in that one, aren't we, boys? Yep. Friday night looks like the game of the round with Collingwood taking on Richmond. Uh, I It's probably just a bit too irresistible to go past Collingwood. Um, I thought Richmond showed some really good signs, but it looks like Hopper's going to be out for the Tigers with that sort of ankle. Uh, I think some of them said knee on the you know yeah. AFL 360. Um, in terms of games that could be very, very interesting. We mentioned the showdown. We mentioned the derby. We're not going to spend too much time time talking about those, but St. Kilda and Essendon, if you had have said this game at the start of the year would have been one to watch, people probably would have laughed at you just thinking, yeah, right. Um, but with the way that the Saints are playing and the way that the Bombers have started the season as well, um, 
that would be something very interesting. 150th um, year anniversary for St Kilda. Callum Wilkie's going to captain the Saints. What a player he's been um, for them since he joined them in 2019. And then on Sunday, we've got the game that we talked about at Heritage Bank Stadium between Gold Coast and the Cats. The G on Sunday is the Demons and the Swans, so a repeat of the uh, qualifying final from last year. And to finish the round, we've got the the derby between Fremantle and West Coast. Are we expecting Fremantle to get up in this one or is anyone going to tip West Coast? I've gone West Coast. Mm. Interesting. I'm probably going to back the Dockers in, um, but their forward line is still of major concern to me as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. But uh, which of the games stand out to you this weekend, Jake? Uh, Well, probably uh, I'd love to watch Melbourne uh, play the Swannies. I think, you know, the way it went last year at the MCG and how, you know, the Swans ultimately just bullied Melbourne. I think, you know, Melbourne would be looking for a bit of revenge. Uh, I think Hawthorne, North Melbourne, you know, I know it's not the best game when it comes out of your mouth, but can North play at the level they've been playing at for the last couple of weeks or can Hawthorne maybe make them play down to their level? So I think that could be an interesting game as well. And I know... I'm not sure about Ash, but my mate, he's a bit scared of the Giants. Um, getting Cali and Whitfield potentially back could be a bit of a, an iffy game. So, you know, I, I think it's a great round of footy. I think it's a really good round of footy. All righty. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's show. Make sure that you follow the Mojo Sports AFL Instagram page for all your footy news and make sure that you subscribe uh, to us on Spotify. Download the podcast, share it with your mates and listen to some awesome footy content. Nath, Ash, Jake, thanks so much for for joining us this week and uh, we'll see you on the next episode.